Well, good to see you all. Welcome back, parents, uh, from the trip upstairs. Uh, Matt has stealing my, uh, my my thunder to, to start with. Advent, oh, bad advent. You that's fine. Yeah, that's true. I did write it into the thing. This is twisty. Um, yeah, we are in the first week of December, which means we're kicking off our Advent series, um, which means, yeah, we're, we're jumping into Advent as we lead up to Christmas. Uh, officially, you meant to start Advent last week. Uh, that's okay. We'll, yeah, we're, we're a week late. Yeah, but we couldn't press pause on Romans. Something here is still spinny. Look, I'm just going to have to deal with it. Um, so you have to grow up and just deal with it. Okay. Okay, card, cards on the table. I really love Christmas. Right? Okay, me and Lucy, apparently. Um, I used to have very firm rules about when the Christmas tree goes up. First of December, right? Obvi- obviously. As time has gone on, I've definitely changed my rule here. My, my tree's been up for maybe three or four weeks, and I'm not even just a little bit sorry. I think I was wrong to have such a firm rule about it. Um, in my house, Christmas carols have been playing nonstop since that tree went up, like nonstop. Um, I'm wearing Christmas socks all the time. There you go. Um, like all the time. I can't help it. It's just, it's Christmas time, right? Um, I'm, I'm, in, I'm all in, right? So for me, the needle of my Christmas love has gone from like, like 6.5 to like an eight and a half, nine maybe. To give you a scale, by the way, 10 is like Will Ferrell and Elf. Um, that's 10, all right? No, one, no one's 10 except him. Um, but I, I've moved up. Right? I, I love Christmas time. I love the, the seasonally inappropriate food we all eat uh, in, in the middle of Brisbane summer. I love listening to lyrically deep and rich carols. Not Jingle Bells, although there is some valuable lessons in that for all of us, I think. No. Um, Christmas carols, written these hymns of praise to our Lord. Every year they strike me once more with the, with the beauty that they're, they're trying to convey to us. Um, as I've grown older as well, I've grown to really love the Advent rhythm. Once a year, slowing down. Uh, and like really punctuating the year with this like hyper focus on Jesus and his coming. I've grown to really love that routine of considering what it means that Jesus came for me. And again, every year I'm again just like restruck by the humility of our God to come as a baby into this world. Today we've got Roman in the room. How old is Roman? Jesus was once three weeks old. Next time you see Roman, just remember that Jesus was once his size. What the Lord of heaven entering into a ridiculous situation and not born in a palace, but in a barn. So look, it makes sense then, if that's where I'm at, that I would be very excited to get to open up our Advent series today and begin to share with you about, like to to lead our church into this season of of preparing ourselves. I'm very excited. Uh, Romans 8 has been awesome. I've loved it. Appreciate the, the sermon last week from you, Matt, and the first one as well. Uh, it's been a great few weeks in Romans 8, and it's kind of sad to press pause on that. But it just means that 2022 has some good stuff coming, which is exciting as well. Um, Romans 8's been great. But for the next two weeks, we are going to be, really, we're going to be jumping back to the prophet Isaiah, spending two weeks in Isaiah. And um, we're going to be hearing these prophecies of this one to come. So we're going to be jumping back in our minds to the, uh, to the uh, prophet Isaiah. We're going to be in Isaiah 40. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. 
Um, do you guys know about Isaiah 40 yet? Is that, is that a discovery you've made in your own life? <laughs> if not, welcome to Isaiah 40, guys. Uh, Isaiah 40 is basically the Romans 8 of the Old Testament. And I'm not the first to say that. It is great. And I'm very excited to be here. One day I hope to do what we're doing with Romans 8 with, with Isaiah 40 and preach like 10 sermons in it. hope to do that one day, but today we're just doing the first five verses. Um, so I'm going to read the first five verses. I really wanted to do much more, but we're, we're, we're being conservative today. Isaiah 40 from verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. That's the series title pulled from that verse. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord pray together. I'm going to pray actually a, a traditional Anglican Advent prayer for the occasion. So I did not write this. Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which your son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility that in that last day, when he shall come again, his second advent, in the, his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to life immortal. Through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Old prayers are sometimes great. Appreciate that. Okay. Uh, before we dive into uh, Ad, uh, Isaiah 40, I should say, before we dive into Isaiah 40, I just want to ask the question, um, the obvious question as we start an Advent series, and that is, why are we doing this? What is Advent about? Why do we need it? Matt answered the question before, which is great. Thanks, Matt. Um, the, word, the word comes from the Latin Adventus, which is my new favorite word. Um, which just basically means coming or arrival, and it's, of course, referring to the coming of Jesus, right? Every Advent, I have this kind of, I have to go through the mental kind of gymnastics of, of thinking about what this means for us, right? Um, back in the, in, the, in the fourth and fifth century, uh, the church started kind of celebrating the season, and then over the centuries, it's kind of become a church tradition that each year, lead to Christmas, we would remember the coming of Jesus. But we do, we do actually celebrate it on two very distinct yet related levels, right? So there's two ways that we actually do Advent. Uh, the first level is we celebrate the birth of Jesus, right? This is obvious, it's Christmas. So we kind of, we, we, we get that. Um, but it's bigger than just that, really, because it's, we're not just celebrating the, the birth of Jesus. We're, 
Advent's about entering into that season of anticipation. We're entering into the expectation of the Old Testament saints waiting for the promised Messiah. Do you, you see that? So we're kind of like, we're, we're, we're entering into that longing, that waiting. We're reenacting it in our hearts and remembering what it was like to um, long for that Savior, the first advent of Jesus. But there's a second whole level to advent. And that is, right now today, 2021, we are awaiting the second advent, the second coming. Right? We are living our lives between the first advent and the second advent of Jesus. That's where we're existing. He's come once, he's coming again, right? So there's two advents, and we are looking forward to the second one. I don't know how much it is you're dialed into this. I think 2020, 2020 and 2021 has helped us dial into this fact that the world is deeply broken. It is unjust. It is corrupt. It is, there is suffering and evil and injustice. This is where we live. And sometimes we can kind of just distract ourselves with Netflix and, and, and forget that. But we've woken up to this, I think, in the last two years. And Advent for us is a time of acknowledging that and leaning into that and remembering that we have a greater hope in Christ. Advent, Advent is about hope. I love this little line from um, Timothy Paul Jones. He says, in Advent, nope, sorry, I'm too early, Harrison Warren, um, to practice Advent is to lean into an almost cosmic ache, our deep wordless desire for things to be made right, and the incompleteness that we find in the meantime. Isn't that so true? We long for the day that everything's right, and in the meantime, we're just looking around being like, this isn't, this isn't quite there yet, is it? The best, the best day we've ever had, it's still not there. We're still not there. We feel the ache. But of course, the good news is that the last words that Jesus spoke before he left is, I'm coming back. And I'm coming back to right all the wrongs. And so just as the Israelites awaiting the first advent of the Messiah, waiting for them to come rescue him, waiting for him to come rescue them, we today are awaiting the return of Jesus to make all things new. Second little quote from Timothy Paul Jones. He says, In Advent, believers confess that the infant who drew his first ragged breath between a virgin's knees has yet to speak his final word. The final word of Jesus is coming. It's going to be a good word, and we're looking forward to that day in hope. And so that's why we're doing Advent. It's, it's helping us dial back into that ultimate hope that we have in, in Christ and, and, and his hope for the world, his promise for the world. So Isaiah 40 is going to help us do that. And I'm sure whatever Matt's doing next week will also. Do you know what you're doing yet? Isaiah something. Uh, there's, like, there's, there's too many places to go in Isaiah to preach Advent, so here's the problem. Um, Isaiah 40. Okay, I have three points. Nice and easy for you. Firstly, Advent awakens us to God's promise of his personal intervention into our darkness and defeat. It's a bit wordy. Advent awakens us to God's promise of his personal intervention into our darkness and defeat. It's verses 1 and 2. Number 2, Advent is preparing ourselves to receive King Jesus. Verse 3 and 4. And finally, Advent has a cost but a greater glory. Verse 5. All right, firstly, Advent awakens us to God's promise of his personal intervention into our darkness and defeat. Uh, the book of Isaiah is written 
a good 700 years prior to the coming of Jesus. Okay, so this is ancient history, even to the people at Jesus' time. Okay, it was written to the nation of Israel at a time of massive upheaval, spiritual decay, faithlessness. It is written into a bleak, bleak situation. Uh, the book, it can basically be broken in two. It basically has two, two parts to it. Uh, Isaiah 1 to 39 and Isaiah 40 to 66. Just to catch you up so that you can kind of have your orientation around the book. Um, chapters 1 to 39, the message God has for his people is one of judgment and rebuke for their sin. God is, in these chapters, getting in their faces about their sin, confronting them. Sometimes God confronts us with the reality of our sin and our brokenness. He does that. Um, he, he gets in their face about how they've abandoned him. They've been unfaithful like a faithless spouse, chasing other lovers. They have worshipped other gods. They've abandoned his worship in the temple entirely. They are, uh, they've taken on a lot of the kind of cult pagan practices of the surrounding nations, including things like cult prostitution and child sacrifice. Meanwhile, they are trying to claim the promises of God made to Moses while their lives are entirely lived in outright rebellion to him. And so God finally says, enough is enough. It's over. We know from the Old Testament that God is, he is slow to anger, and yet he does get there. What happens is he hands the nation of Israel over to the, the, um, the hordes of the east, the Babylonians. They come, they sack the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem would eventually fall after siege and um, starvation and famine in the year 586. So this is a good kind of hundred and something years after, after Isaiah lived. And the, and the survivors, those that actually survived the siege, would, would be carted off into exile, into slavery, into captivity. And so, if you've ever read Isaiah's, Isaiah 1 to 39, you will have noticed it can be tough going at times. Because this is the message. There is certainly some um, sprinkling of gospel promises that are beautiful all the way through Isaiah one to thirty nine, and yet the message, the overall message, is dire. It is harrowing. God is confronting His people and giving them over to their choices. Isaiah forty to sixty six, we turn a pretty significant corner. Uh, it's as if in Isaiah forty to sixty six, it's as if Isaiah is kind of launched forwards into into the future from his present day seven hundred. BC, into the future where God's people are then in captivity, okay? They're in captivity in Babylon, and it's in these chapters that he's, he's, he's no longer speaking to his generation, the people that are physically around him. He's prophetically speaking to this future generation out in captivity in Babylon, those who are sitting in exile, who have been there for generation, sitting in exile, feeling like God has abandoned them because of the sins of their fathers, and they're crying out for rescue. And so this is the context of Isaiah 40. This is where we find ourselves. It's into that hopelessness and that despair and that frustration and that soul cry for God to, 
to rescue them that God then brings this message of hope. And I think before we read Isaiah 41 and 2 just one more time, isn't it true? Like, doesn't it ring true to us that this is how God kind of, he kind of works with us as well? It's when we're, we find ourselves in that moment of hopelessness. We find ourselves in deep, deep in that despair. When that darkness is the thickest, that's when we're actually kind of most ready to actually open up our hands and receive God's grace. But fresh in a way that is actually going to register in our interiority. This is kind of, this just rings true, doesn't it? This is how God works. Sometimes we need to be desperate enough to actually hear God, what he's actually saying to us. Take suffering sometimes. Unfortunately for us. But it's true. This is what he says. This is the message he has for his people. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. So again, chapters 139, 1 to 39, message isn't comfort, comfort. It's judgment, judgment, right? Rebuke, rebuke. Here, the tone changes. Comfort, comfort. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Literally, it's saying, speak from the heart to Jerusalem. And cry to her that her warfare or her um, servitude, her captivity, is ended. That her iniquity is pardoned. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Her iniquity is pardoned. Or in, or in the words of Romans 8 verse 1, right? Say to my people Jerusalem, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Thank you very much. You guys remembered. So God's saying, God's, God's saying to these people in exile who have, who have reached the end of their hope, God is saying, I'm, it's over. I'm coming to get you. I haven't forgotten you. I haven't abandoned you. I am coming to get you. He doesn't leave them stuck with the consequences of their sin. In the same way, he doesn't leave us stuck with the consequences of our sin. He enters in and comes to get us. Aren't you glad that Jesus does that? He doesn't wait for us to figure it out. He doesn't wait for us to sort ourselves out. He comes and gets us. This is what Advent's about. Uh, Ray Oatland's commentary on Isaiah, he says this. He says, if the focus of Christianity were our sins, our future would shut down. I love that line. The focus of Christianity was on our sins, our future. It would shut down. But, in fact, Christianity is all about the saving grace of God. He overrules our stupidity with his own absolute pardon through the finished work of Christ on the cross. Do we sin? Yes. Do we suffer for it? Yes. Is that where God leaves us? No. When his discipline has done its good work, God comes back to us with overflowing comfort. Who doesn't need that reminder of Advent? That he's coming to get us in our own mess that we've made when we're dealing with the consequences of our own sin. He comes back. He enters the brokenness of this world. He comes to us with a message of comfort, for us. He speaks tenderly to us. He doesn't pretend like our sin's not sin. He doesn't flatter us. But he comes and tells us 
that our servitude, our warfare against sin and death, it's over. There's a new life waiting for us with him on the other side. Our sin is forgiven. And so today, you might be feeling like those exiles in exile, those people in exile, dealing with a sense of hopelessness and despair and really like a sense of God-forsakenness. Where is God in my current circumstances? Might be a question you've asked. And so I'm not sure what it is that's going on in your world right now and what has you feeling that sense of hopelessness and despair um, or what even maybe has you feeling like you're in exile and, and God forsaken. But to you, Jesus brings words of comfort. Words of comfort. At that point, where do you go in the Bible? There's so many words of comfort that I can give you right now. Let me just give you one because I can only, like, we could spend all day. But listen to this. This is Jesus speaking to you today. This is Jesus speaking to you today. This is him in Matthew 11, verse 28, 29 and 30. He says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Promise of rest from our Lord Jesus. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Do you see that? So take, take my yoke upon me. We do actually have to respond to him. We do actually have to adjust him. We do actually have to follow him, right? There is a, we are taking on a yoke. We're taking on his yoke. We're going to learn from him. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So friends, this is the promise of Jesus today. If you're feeling burdened and heavy laden from a hard year, running hard the Lord has a promise of comfort his personal invitation in the midst of your darkness and defeat this is the promise of our Lord today you are not alone he is with you he's promised to come get you right now in this moment you can receive that promise in faith grab hold of it two hands receive it it is for you it is for you it's number one Number two, this is where we're going to focus most of our time today. Advent is preparing ourselves to receive King Jesus. All right? Verse three and four. Well-known verses because they show up in every gospel that we have. The four gospels all quote this at the start somewhere. A voice cries. What's that voice say? In the wilderness... Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Just note here, I just can't go past this without pointing this out. Where does God come? He doesn't come to the palace. He doesn't come to the halls, the corridors of power. To the wilderness. Those neglected, overlooked places. Insert joke about country town here, right? This is, this is what he's saying. He, doesn't, he comes to the wilderness, into the desert. Don't miss that. This is, this is the heart of our Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground become level and the rough places plain. Prepare the way of the Lord. This is our theme for the next two weeks. We are preparing ourselves. The word prepare 
here in the Hebrew, um, it has this idea of removing barriers and obstructions. It's used in one of in, in Leviticus, I think, for like like cleaning out an entire house, remove, getting the clutter out, spring clean. We are, as we prepare, removing the debris so we can receive our Lord. We are removing anything and everything that Jesus would have to kind of blast away, remove, step around in order to come to us. Those things that make it difficult for him to even speak to us. We're to clear it away. I think it's quite obvious that these, these metaphors are about, ultimately about repentance. About repentance. Make the highway straight, level the land, right? Uh, we know that they're about repentance because, again, in the Gospels, John the Baptist is identified as this voice in the wilderness. Uh, he quote, uh, they quote this about him. He is the voice preparing the way for Jesus to come. I can take you to one place. Uh, let's, let's go to Mark quickly. Mark 1, verse 4. It says, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness. Of course in the wilderness, right? That's where Jesus is coming. He's in the wilderness, and he's proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So, the king is coming. How are you to prepare yourself? The answer, John Baptist says, repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Receive grace. Be honest about your sin. Bring it to the Lord. Receive his grace once more. And so today, same thing. How are we to prepare ourselves for Advent? Repentance. True repentance. Look at the language here. Um, he is talking about things like leveling mountains. Right? This is, this is, he's not talking about like tweaks and adjustments. He's talking about upheaval. He's talking about changing the landscape. Repentance, friends, repentance can be dramatic. Is off, I think true repentance is dramatic and, and um, disruptive to our, our lives. True repentance, it's, it's upheaval. We're going to level that mountain in repentance. The crooked places are going to be straightened. The high places are going to be brought low. And the low places are going to be lifted up. So anything that we find, anything that we find that goes counter to the kingship of Jesus, we're going to take an axe to. We're not going to be okay with the status quo. We're going to prepare ourselves to receive him. I want to just zero in on one of these, okay? Um, I think I just want, just want to zero in on one, one area of repentance that I think kind of summarizes it all. And that is um, this idea of the high being brought low. I think, I think he's referring to human pride, right? Which is really the, the kind of the, the seed of all sin. Human pride. I think in our culture, pride is not just kind of assumed. It's, it's almost even celebrated and expected. It's, 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 our, it's our automatic Self-exaltation. It's the way we kind of just naturally make everything about us, even when it's really not about us. Have you ever caught yourself doing that? You're in a situation that doesn't involve you at all, and yet you're just so subconscious about yourself. You're just, you're just all about what's happening, how is everyone perceiving me in this situation? 
catch myself doing that all the time. It's pride. The Bible has a very consistent message about the proud. It's a message we must hear. Again, prepare yourselves. I've got five random verses from all over the Bible about the proud. First, James 4, 6. God opposes the proud. There's one verse that I find troubling. It's that verse there. He opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, no doubt about it, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the, this is the ethic of, of the kingdom, right? Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 18, verse 4, Proverbs 29, 23. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Finally, things shall not remain as they are, says Ezekiel 21, 26. I love this. this is, I think this is, um, this is very Isaiah 40, right? The mountains are going to get leveled. Things are not going to remain as they are. And so exalt which is low and bring low which is exalted. Just to summarize all of that, I will turn to, um, this is not the Bible, but it is C.S. Lewis. He gets quoted a lot. Sorry about that. Um, He talks about pride. He says, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Do you see that? Pride is the complete anti-God state of mind. We need to level that mountain if we're going to receive him. The king is coming, friends. This Advent season, he's coming. And he opposes the proud. He does. Pride will make you his enemy. None of us want that. Let's face our pride today. Let's bring it low. Today, I want to invite you into a season where we experience the disruption of true repentance. We embrace that. We lean into it. We must prepare ourselves by lowering ourselves. We must embrace the low place and do whatever it is we must do to be ready for him. One more. I think I just want to give you one more application here before we move on. Um, Preparation. It requires the, the, the disruption of true repentance, but it also requires from us our, our attention. If we're going to prepare ourselves, we actually need to give the Lord our attention, our devoted attention. Who here has accidentally stumbled into intimacy with God? I don't think it's something that can be done. It actually requires from us some decisiveness, some persistence, some attention. Think it through with me. Who, um, how is it that a married couple who can be incredibly in love with each other on their wedding day can be barely talking to each other, basically housemates, like two years, in two years' time? 
It, ha it ha totally happens, right? Sometimes it is because of some catastrophic sin that one of them has committed. Sure, that happens, but I think more often than not, it's just kind of neglect of the relationship. It's not being cultivated. It's just run-of-the-mill, garden-variety neglect. A relationship needs attention to exist, or it will die. Like a plant that needs water, or a cat needs food, my wife that needs hugs. It just needs it to live, right? A relationship needs attention to exist. And to state the obvious, the more important the relationship, the more catastrophic the effect of our neglect, correct? If I neglect one of my friends from school that I haven't seen in 10 years, like, that's sad, but it's not going to ruin either of our lives. If I neglect my children, right? Catastrophic. If we neglect our Lord, friends, our soul is on the line here. Some of us, some of you here know that you have simply been neglecting the Lord in relationship. Just neglect. Not hostility, you don't hate him. He's just small in your, in your mind and so small in your life. You've been neglecting him. And through that neglect, you have found yourself today, sitting here in this room, just far from him. So we're saying, guys, that if that's you, God doesn't want to shame you for that. He doesn't want to shame you for that. But neither is he content to just let that be the status quo. Because <laughs> he cares too much, right? He's the good husband. He's going to chase down his bride. I pray today that you would see that, see his love, return to him. Guys, I can, I can tell you that I probably am, I'm not where I want to be in relation to my intimacy with the Lord right now. I'm excited about Advent, giving him my attention, responding to him in faith, that there's a seed of discontent in me, that where I'm at with the Lord, I'm going to take this opportunity to run to him. And I so invite you to come along with me. And so, yeah, today I'm asking you to join me in that moment of decisiveness. Whatever that looks like in, in these weeks leading up to Christmas, that we would turn our attention to him, give him our attention, devote ourselves to him, devote ourselves to him. Seek to repent, true repentance. Lean into the upheaval that that, that brings. Give him our attention. Okay, let me give you just three practicals as to how maybe you want to do that, just because I think let's just try to get it on the ground. First thing, this is the obvious one. This is where I've gone to already. Um, do a daily Advent devotional. Find a good one. I've shared a whole bunch on the Facebook group. I'll send a newsletter out this week with some more. Um, Paul Tripp's Come Let Us Adore Him book is great. Really brief, but really fantastic. Um, read it each day before going to bed or over brekkie or with the family at dinner time, whatever it is. It's about cultivating your attention, giving him your attention. Disrupt your normal rhythm, friends. Disrupt your normal rhythm. Give your attention to Jesus this Advent. Thing number two, lean hard into the things that stir your affection for Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? Those things that you find inflame your heart towards him. What things help you know his love and rest in it? What are those things? What things just inflame your heart towards him? And then just chase after that. 
think of like obviously time in the word and prayer like he can't like again that's neglect if we're not if we're not meeting with him but look there's other things that we can we can go to if you if you find yourself when you're in somewhere beautiful that you just find your heart just going god made this make sure in december you get out into nature and just go praise him for what he's made If you're not in a small group, jump into a small group. I know most of them are wrapping up at the moment. Uh, we've got a few weeks left. If you want to come join our group, feel free. But just like get with other Christians who love Jesus. Pray and share the word together. Inflames my affection for the Lord. For me, worship music, I listen to it a bunch. Find stuff that you that you connect with. Listen to it. I love listening to other preachers through the week. I listen to podcasts. I love it. It makes me love Jesus more. Encourage you, find those things, lean into those things that make you hunger for the Lord. And finally, this is a um, little bit left field, but gifts of compassion. We've talked about this in years gone by. Compassion have, um, do this kind of annual Advent Christmas time program. Um, one of the dangers of modern Christmas in the Western world is that it can be really easily not about Jesus. When I said at the start that I love Christmas, I actually kind of despise cultural Christmas. I don't get it. I don't want it in my life. I love remembering Jesus. I love Advent. We can just get so caught up with that materialism and worldliness at Christmas time. Gifts, compassion, buy people in poverty a goat. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, th- this is one way that you can join in God's project to lift up the valleys, right? This is one way we can join with the Lord. Instead of buying each other more stuff we don't need, we can actually bless people that need it. You jump on their website, figure out how to do that there. That's just one idea for you if you'd like to um, lean into that as well. So, Jesus is coming, coming back. Let's not be found unprepared for his return. Let's lean into all these things. Lastly, this one will be quicker. Let me just recap. Advent awakens us to God's promise of his personal invitation intervention into our darkness and defeat. He's pre- Advent is preparing ourselves to receive King Jesus. And finally, verse 5, Advent has a cost but a greater glory. Back to Isaiah 40. I want to read from verse 3. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Whenever you see that, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken, what I always think is, it's as good as done then, right? Mouth of the Lord has spoken. Count on it. It's as good as done. So, Repentance. Here's one summary of the Christian life that I saw somewhere. Two steps. First, upheaval. Second, glory. Upheaval of repentance and the glory of the Lord being revealed to us. The glory of the Lord is Christ's presence with us. He comes to us. And in Advent, this is what we are celebrating, right? He comes into our world to dwell with us. John 1 verse 14, right? The word became flesh. And dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the father. Full 
of grace and truth. His glory has been revealed once. Not all flesh saw it. This verse says, uh, all flesh shall see it together. He's talking about a future day, friends. Future day when the glory of the Lord will be on full display for all to see. That's coming. That's coming. To get there, there's a cost. The cost of upheaval. The cost of repentance. It's a cost willing to pay uh, that is worth paying. Let me take you back to um, Ray Oldland's Isaiah commentary. He says this. I just found this the best. He says, God has kept his promise in the hidden glory of Christ's first coming. See what he's saying? So this verse here, um, go back, sorry, go back to verse 5. Um, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Okay, that's the promise. His glory is going to be revealed. Everyone's going to see it. Ray's saying here, um, his promise has been kept in the coming of Jesus. And then he continues to keep his promise as the Holy Spirit awakens us to the glory of Christ in the gospel. And finally, he will consummate his promise at the second coming of Christ. All of this is contained in seed form in Isaiah 40 verse 5. Our part is to have the courage to welcome him with a bold restructuring of our lives. Nothing could be greater for us than to be wonderfully disrupted by the power of this hope. He is worth the upheaval. He is worth the upheaval. I like that. I love that line. Nothing could be greater for us than to be wonderfully disrupted by the power of this hope. He is worth the upheaval that we must endure. And so today, friends, whatever repentance looks like for you today, whatever repentance is calling you today that feels big and disruptive, costly, there's greater glory. There's a greater glory ahead. It is worth the upheaval. He is worth the upheaval. And so together, again, this Advent season, just as I finish, let's prepare the way of the Lord as a church. I'm just going to give you some time now um, to reflect on just two questions that came out of the message, the text today. Firstly, where is God calling you to true repentance? Where is God calling you to true repentance? Secondly, how can you cultivate a season of devoted attention this Advent? Two things to reflect on. I'm going to give you just a few minutes to spend with your eyes closed as you pray over these things, and then I'll close in prayer. I'll get the band back up now as well. Lord, we thank you for this great promise of comfort, forgiveness, 
your tender voice towards us. As we wait for your final redemption in this world, Lord, we uh, we need you. Lord, we confess again our hearts are um, fickle and they drift and we fall in love with lesser things. Lord, I pray today that we would experience true, the disruptive nature of repentance, Lord, for real. Lord, where it is that we have pride lodged in our hearts, would you help us identify and confess that to you? Would you help us turn from our evil, where it is that we are far from you, Lord? Would you help us remove the obstacles that are present within us to receiving your word? when you lead us into paths of, of life everlasting. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are at work in us, bringing conviction of our sin. Not leading us into guilt, Lord, where we feel like we need to run from you, Lord, but conviction of sin that reminds us that your love is great and grace is great, greater than our sin. wakens us up to your love for us it reminds us that the, the, the that repentance is always always a gain because there's nothing better than returning to our king so Lord we pray for your blessing on this church and each and every one of us help us this Advent season to live devoted lives, give you the attention you rightly deserve in our lives, return to you with hearts full of faith. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.